0: Setting coordinates. Outlaw located. I'm Ryan McCarthy, and welcome to The Stolen Goods. This podcast is all about outlaws, bandits, and scourges of the seven seas. Every week, we're going to take a look at a different one of these characters and learn about them. We'll shine the spotlight on some of the most infamous bandits, outlaws, and pirates in history, and even dig deeper to learn about some that maybe you haven't heard of before. I am not a historian, nor do I claim to be an expert on the topic. I'm just a guy who thinks this type of stuff is rad and wants to learn more about it. So grab your bow and arrow, six-shooter, and bag of blue, and join me as we walk the plank and plunge into the lawless world of banditry and swashbucklery. Is that a word? Together. All right. And welcome to the Stolen Goods. My name is Ryan McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Taking some time out of your day, your week, your month, uh, whatever your podcast frequency schedule is. Um, And uh, listen to me babble and, um, you know. Uh, share in the journey of another outlaw or pirate or bandit. I mean, the term outlaw kind of like encompasses all of them. You know, if you're breaking the law, you are living outside of the protection of the law. You know, they're they're not going to help you out anyway. Um, so uh, uh, Ryan at the stolen goods If you want to drop me a line, uh, the website where you can find uh, all the platforms that you can listen to the podcast on. Uh, is uh, thestolengoods.buzzsprout.com, so you can uh, share that with your friends. I uh, really appreciate it. Also, if you are on, uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Audible or Spotify or any other uh, platform that offers a rating mechanism, I'd appreciate it if you would take some time to, uh, you know, um, rate the podcast. Hopefully, you're enjoying it and leave some warm words. I'd greatly appreciate that. So uh, yeah, that's that. And uh, so today is a uh, is a a special uh, special day because today is a first. Um, you know the, the thing i the thing about this podcast is you know I don't want this podcast to be some like whitewashed podcast where all we talk about is a bunch of white gunslingers and you know white. You know, European pirates and and bandits and everything like that. You know, I want to get some diversity on this podcast. And unfortunately, um, uh, history was historically written by white historians who weren't exactly, you know, scratching and clawing against each other to be the first to document the lives of people of color. Back in the day, let's just get real. You know what I mean? Um, but that doesn't mean that the information is not out there. And, uh, this particular outlaw that we are talking about today, I've wanted to cover this guy for a long time and, um, you know, took some digging, uh, to find some information on this guy and, uh, uh, a lot of a lot of sources just say the same stuff, you know, the same basic story. and I want more than that. So I had to kind of dig a little bit more. And so today we are having our first black or African American, whatever term you prefer, uh, outlaw on the show. and and you know, some people might be saying, well, Ryan, it's it's almost February. Why don't you wait until February and do Black History Month? And my answer to that is that I don't think black history should be relegated to a month. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. So I will cover a black outlaw whenever I feel like it. So today we are talking about a pirate that is from America, but didn't operate in America. And today we're talking about the infamous Black Jack Anderson or John William Anderson, who did all of his piratical exploits down in Australia. And it's also important to point out that Blackjack Anderson is Australia's only pirate. So, uh, what do you say? We waste no more time. Let's jump into the time machine. Let's get out of here. And let's go back there right now. All right. So here we are in 1806 in the town of Newcastle, Delaware, which is where it is believed that according to the genealogy website Wikitree.com, John William Anderson was born. And we know basically nothing about his childhood growing up. But let's take a look at the world he was growing up in and how the whaling industry molded the path that Anderson would take on his way to infamy. So, whaling goes back thousands of years, as far back as the Neolithic era, which ended in 4500 BCE, and organized whaling started as far back as a thousand years ago by the Basque people on the northern coast of Spain near the French border. The entire body of a whale provided a huge amount of products and purposes, and while the idea of whaling today is an atrocious idea... Back then, people relied heavily on whale body parts for many everyday uses. For starters, food. Whale meat was a huge source of protein and nutrients. Whale bone, also known as baleen, which isn't actually bone at all, but instead a type of keratin, very similar to what our fingernails are made of was used for furniture roofing material baskets and could be carved into thin pieces and used to stiffen collars and was used as wiring and corsets okay so maybe some of it was for vanity but the main reason people hunted whales was for the blubber which was a source of oil after the whale was killed It would be towed back to the main ship where oil would be extracted from the blubber by slicing strips of blubber off the carcass a practice called flensing and it would be put in a trying pot where the blubber would be heated until it would liquefy into oil a practice called trying out the oil would then be poured into wooden barrels for transport the most valuable oil was found in the sperm whale this waxy oil is called spermaceti which is found in the sperm whale's head and was used to make oil, lubricant, and odorless and smokeless candles that are considered, to this day, the best candles ever made. The sperm whale and spermaceti got its name because people thought that the milky, waxy oil resembled sperm and actually thought that it was, in fact, made out of sperm. Now, years later, studies would prove that this theory is absolutely ridiculous and that spermaceti actually helps the whale's buoyancy. Look, I understand that back in the 1700s, they hadn't made all the scientific discoveries that we've made today, but to think that this whale just had a bunch of sperm rolling around in its head all the time, that's pretty stupid. However, whale oil was extremely versatile and could be used for burning in lamps to provide heat and light, it was used for soap and lubrication for machine parts. In fact, it was whale oil that made the industrial revolution possible. So even though whaling was a horrible business back in the day, up until the 19th century, whales provided a lot of products that drove industry. But by the mid to late 1800s, the whaling industry started to decline. This was due to multiple factors. First was the discovery of petroleum in Pennsylvania in 1859. Petroleum provided a much more efficient application for almost everything – fuel, light, machinery lubrication, even foodstuffs and animal feed and fertilizer. In fact, petroleum was so much better that it caused the decline of the whaling industry despite the invention by Norwegian entrepreneur Svend Foyn of the 86-ton 7-knot spes at fides, or Hope and Faith, which was the first steam-powered whale catcher fully equipped with his also newly invented harpoon cannon. Too little too late, my friend. Svend, fun unrelated fact vegetable shortening was originally invented in 1901 by a german scientist as a lubricant for submarine engine parts but since there were only about a hundred submarines in existence at the time this new miracle product wasn't very profitable so they started looking around for some company to buy the patent for the product and attracted the attention of a little known company at the time called procter and gamble who bought the patent procter and gamble then paid the american heart association 1.7 million dollars which is the equivalent of $59 million today to run a campaign endorsing Procter & Gamble's newest product Crisco as a heart-healthy alternative to animal fats found in lard. Just remember that the next time you eat a piece of pie. Anyway, petroleum wasn't the only thing driving the decline of the whaling industry. The start of the civil war also added to the decline of the industry when the south's navy, which lacked the strength and numbers that the north's navy had and couldn't compete head to head in blockade naval battles, started appointing some of their naval vessels to operate basically as privateers to intercept whaling vessels that were bringing valuable whale oil back to the northern ports. To the Southern Navy's credit, the crews of these ships were not harmed, but the ships and cargo were destroyed, which is messed up in its own right because these whales died in vain. This drove insurance premiums through the roof and the profits to be made did not outweigh the risk. Whaling also became too dangerous due to whalers having to venture too deep into Arctic waters and dealing with ice, which caused the wrecks of 45 whaling ships off the coast of Alaska between 1871 and 1876, so people were like yo forget this then in 1946 the international whaling commission was established to regulate the hunting of whales then in 1971 the united states fully banned the hunting of whales and in 1986 a global moratorium or temporary ban on commercial whaling was adopted due to the overhunting of whales this ban is still in existence today but not all countries recognize it you know who you are I don't want to say in case my sources are not up to date and you changed your whale slaughtering ways. Anyway, I'm way off topic. So back to Blackjack Anderson and the whaling industry. That sounds like a band that plays nothing but industrial reggae metal. Is that even a thing? It should be. So by 1821, Anderson was a mariner, and on April 26th, he came back from Haiti on a schooner with three other passengers and arrived in Edgerton, Massachusetts, which was a popular whaling town near New Bedford, which, by the mid-1800s, was the largest whaling industry town in the world. We don't know why Anderson went down to Haiti, but by the late 1700s, the whaling industry had decimated the population of whales off the coasts of the United States, and whaling vessels had to go further out to sea in every direction to find more populated areas. Eight years later, in 1829, Anderson was confirmed on the whaling ship Francis Henrietta on its 1829-1833 voyage to the Pacific Ocean. Anderson was listed on the crew docket as 21 years old, birthplace, Newcastle, residence, New Bedford, skin, black, hair, black, height, five foot, eight and a half inches. So the Francis Henrietta takes off from New Bedford on September 19th, 1829, and headed for the Pacific Ocean. However, there is no record of Anderson ever returning with the ship in 1833. The Francis Henrietta would have docked in New Holland in March 1830, and would have had to have shipped out from New Holland to make it back to America sometime around November 1832. New Holland was the original name for Australia after Dutch explorer Abel Tasman charted it in 1644 and named it New Holland. It wasn't until English navigator Matthew Flinders completely traveled all the way around the continent in 1803 and hand drew a map of the continent in 1804 that the name Australia first got used. In his 1814 book, Chronicling His Journey, he labeled the land on the map Terra Australis, or the Great South Land. This is the name of the book. A voyage to Terra Australis, undertaken for the purpose of completing the discovery of that vast country, and prosecuted in the years 1801, 1802, and 1803 in His Majesty's ship, The Investigator. That's the name of the book. I tell you, people loved their long names for book back then. And you know me, I respect a good long name for a book. As time went on, more and more people started using that name, and by 1817, the name Australia was commonly being used, and in 1828, it was first used in British legislation. On January 1st, 1901, the six British colonies of Australia that include New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, and Tasmania united to form the Commonwealth of Australia, a process known as the Federation. Australia gained full autonomy on October 9th, 1942 with the passage of the Statue of Westminster Adoption Act, and finally, the Australia Act of 1986 cut any residual constitutional ties with Great Britain. However, due to their shared heritage and values, Australia and Great Britain continue to have a strong, comprehensive relationship today. So anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, that's right. According to this theory, Anderson is down in New Holland or Australia from 1830 to 1833 just doing his thing, whatever that was. And to be fair, around this time, there are about 12 other John or Jack Andersons living in or around Western Australia. One of the most commonly considered candidates that could have been John Anderson was a man named Abyssinian Jack but he was documented as arriving in Sydney on the Archduke Charles in 1813, so probably not him. There is also legend that Anderson came from Massachusetts in 1826 on an American ship called the Vigilant and arrived in the King George Sound Colony of Western Australia where the city of Albany is today. You know, I believe it's Albany. We say the name Albany for our city in New York, but I believe it's pronounced Albany in Australia. I could be wrong, and if I am, I apologize. Anyway, one night while drinking, he killed a man and then escaped to the research archipelago but there seems to be nothing to substantiate this claim. Anderson's antics between 1830 and 1833 were not very well documented. In fact, nothing was well documented. The islands where Anderson was living and working were a pretty lawless area, so keeping comprehensive documents of the comings and goings weren't exactly on people's minds. So we don't really know what was going on in the life of Blackjack Anderson around this time. Rumor has it that while he was living in the area along with trading seal pelts, he also pillaged the ships of local traders in the seas off the coast of Western Australia. However, the history book's pick back up in 1834 when Anderson was sealing off the coast of Long Island, which was apparently a sealing term for Thistle Island. Sealing was a nasty business, and it's no stretch to see how working in the sealing industry could turn a regular whaler into a cold-hearted human being. Sealing was ruthless and encouraged seal hunters to indiscriminately kill male and female seals, as well as pups and even lactating females, which would leave any of her babies to die a death of starvation. Seals were used for their meat, oil, and their pelts to make luxurious garments. In an article I found in the Australian Association for Maritime History, between 1790 and 1949, 1,366,880 seals were killed in the Pacific Australasian region alone. So it's no surprise that this repetitive barbaric behavior could completely warp a man's mind and turn them into a complete monster. Fortunately, today, most countries either ban seal hunting or ban the commercial trade of it. So by 1834, Anderson was sealing off the coast of Long Thistle Island, which is on the western side of the entrance to Spencer Gulf in South Australia. And it is most likely that he got the name Blackjack because people who hunted seals back then were commonly known as sealer jacks. This along with the fact that he was black would give him the nickname Black Jack Anderson. I mean, that's a little racist, but you have to admit, Black Jack Anderson is a badass name. Then, in September 1834, Anderson and another black man named John Bathurst visited Kangaroo Island, where he met a man named Captain George Meredith, who had arrived on the island in 1833 after his schooner, the Defiance, had been shipwrecked and he limped to Kangaroo Island in a whaleboat along with his native wife, a man named James Manning, and one other man who was so unimportant that history didn't find it necessary to remember his name. After Anderson got there, he helped George and his wife build a dwelling, of sorts, and a garden. And then Manning joined up with Anderson's crew and went back to Long Island to go sealing with them. So then, in November of 1834, Anderson and Manning were on Bird Island when George Meredith caught up with them and accused Manning of stealing 4 pounds and 10 shillings from him. And while that may not seem like a lot of money, back then that would be like stealing 750 pounds today. I'd be pretty mad too. Anderson, who apparently had not grown any allegiance to Manning, sided with Meredith and helped him relieve Manning of that money. While this was happening, four other men, George Roberts, John Howlett, and Harry and William Forbes, who were working with Anderson and were stealing off the coast of Port Lincoln, had abducted five native women and two men and brought them back to Boston Island, where they kept them as captives. Two of the women had infant children who were taken by an elderly native woman into the bush. The two men captured were husbands of two of the women and were taken in a different boat by Anderson and his crew. Once out of range, the two men were shot and their brains were clubbed out of their heads despite James Manning begging them not to do it. Apparently, one of the women had a husband who saw them get abducted and tried to swim out to save her, but drowned in the process. That's top-tier husband material right there. Two of these women were kept as Anderson's personal wives, but don't be fooled, they weren't wives, they were slaves. By early January of 1835, a small ship named the Mountaineer, captained by Evanson Jansen, or as I like to call him, Evanson Jansen, what? He's dead, he doesn't care if I make fun of his name, landed on Thistle Island, met up with Anderson, and then took the Mountaineer to Middle Island with Anderson following him in his small whaling boat. Middle Island sits in the middle of the Recherche Archipelago off the coast of Western Australia. The Research Archipelago, or Bay of Isles as it's locally known, is an area of 105 islands and 1,200 obstacles making it an extremely difficult area of water to navigate. Middle Island, or Mandarin Island as it was apparently called at the time, was heavily populated with Australian sea lions and New Zealand fur seals. It would make a perfect place for Anderson and his gang to set up shop for their sealing ways. Middle Island also had a lot of salt deposits on the island, which would make for excellent preservation of the pelts before they got traded at port. Manning paid Jansen three pounds to take him to port in King George Sound, around where Albany is today. But Jansen, according to Manning, was drunk all the time and forgot all about Manning and took off from Middle Island to King George Sound without him. After the Mountaineer made it to Albany, it shipped out on its way to Tasmania with seven people. Shipmaster Charles Bjornson, seaman James Ward, and a man simply known as Milt, along with passengers William Church, James Newell, and Matthew Gill, and don't forget the women folk, Dorothy Newell and her sister Mary Gill. Like seriously, it seems like every record of this I found separated the women from the other passengers, like they fall into a different subcategory of passengers. Ah, uh, classic 19th century. So the Mountaineer picks these people up, and they are on their way to Tasmania, but the Mountaineer is shipwrecked, and they are able to get back to Middle Island in a whaleboat, which is similar to a regular rowboat, but has sharp ends on both sides so it can go faster. Once they got back to Middle Island, george bjornson found some parts from the mountaineer in anderson's possession that had gone missing back in february when they first landed on middle island i don't know if these missing parts could have led to the shipwreck it didn't say while on the island the crew from the mountaineer experienced blackjack anderson in all his glory He was said to be a physically imposing man who was prone to violence and seemed to scare the living crap out of his own crew. In an article in the October 8th, 1842 issue of the Perth Gazette and Western Australia Journal, it says, Lawless as these men were, they looked up to him with this sort of dread. Anderson usually carried a brace of pistols about him, knowing that he held his life by a very precarious tenure. By persevering exertions, he had amassed a considerable sum of money, and usually kept one or two black women to attend on him and minister his wants, when not engaged in sealing. After a couple of weeks, most of the men from the Mountaineer couldn't take it anymore and without provisions, left in a whaling boat for King George Sound. They were never seen again. It is assumed that they were shipwrecked out at sea. Dorothea Newell, on the other hand, moved in with Anderson about three weeks after she got there. That only leaves James Manning and James Newell. Manning repeatedly asked Anderson to bring him to shore in Albany, but Anderson always refused. Manning had 50 pounds when he started out on his journey. He lost three pounds to Jansen when he left for King George Sound without him, spent one pound on something, and Anderson sold the other 46 pounds from him manning confronted anderson about it but anderson denied it even though he was seen counting the money with one of his crewmates named isaac by june 1835 tensions were building between anderson and manning and newell manning continued to accuse anderson of stealing his money and anderson finally got sick of it and decided to bring manning and newell to the mainland only when he dropped them off he didn't drop them off in a main port instead he just left them without any provisions in the middle of nowhere So, Manning and Newell started hoofing it, making their way along the coast to Albany. The journey took seven weeks, and they managed to survive eating seaweed and limpets, which are saltwater snails. After seven weeks, the two were very weak and on the verge of death when they were found by two aboriginal women who nursed them back to health. Once they were back to normal, they made their way to the courthouse and reported the 46 pounds that Anderson had stolen from Manning. The next time Anderson was in Albany to trade seal pelts, he was arrested and tried for the crime. However, due to a glowing testimony in favor of Anderson by Dorothea Newell, he was acquitted or let go with a very mild sentence depending on the source you read whether dorothea had stockholm syndrome or truly was in love with anderson we may never know however the next year in 1836 anderson was back in court after he was arrested for stealing from the ship of a man named john william andrews however anderson was again found not guilty with the court saying that the goods were not taken with felonious intent but times were fleeting for our friend john william anderson he had become increasingly insufferable to his crew and in december 1836 anderson had his throat cut from ear to ear in the middle of the night his crewmate bob gamble attested to burying him gamble who was a dirtbag in his own right is also the one who was suspected of killing him you are clearly not a good boss if your crew decides to kill you in your sleep so i guess the only thing left to talk about is blackjack anderson's treasure treasure you ask according to legend Anderson hid a treasure on the south side of Middle Island in a large limestone cave called the keyhole that is only accessible during low tide however nobody has ever found it but according to the website inspirationoutdoors.com.au, even if his treasure wasn't buried there legend has it that his body was maybe one day we'll find them both so that's it that's the story of Black Jack Anderson. And uh, uh, again, I, I, I love the fact that we are trying to find all sorts of people from all over the world with all different diversity and cultures and races and, and you know, whatever else. I, let's see how much we can expand this podcast and, you know, just explore the world and find whatever outlaws we can. And uh, just I feel like the sky's the limit. You know, there's no there's no shortage of people breaking the law, you know. So they're out there, and as time goes on, we will start we will start encroaching into newer outlaws. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun. I, I'm just a history nut. I love this kind of stuff, you know. So I just I love checking out these these uh, bandits and outlaws and pirates from the days of yore. And uh, but but they're all going to get covered. So again. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're listening to this podcast while you're cleaning or you're driving or, you know, whatever it is, maybe you're just staring into space and that's cool too. I mean, that sounds awesome. Um, so again, Ryan at the stolen goods podcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, the stolen goods. where you can find all the platforms that you can listen to it to, And you can share it with your friends and, um, if you haven't already and you're enjoying the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, rate it. Um, maybe give it five stars or however many stars you want. Like I've said before, you know, uh, drop whatever stars you want. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but we'll be back next week with a bandit. So until then, I hope you have a great week and I will talk to you later.